joining Discipleship Conditioning, where we present anatomy through a biblical lens. Got a super exciting show for you today. I get to nerd out and talk about something I'm super passionate about. Um, Actually, two things. One, belief and the power of belief. And two, uh, energy metabolism within human anatomy, specifically human physiology. Well, let's begin with prayer requests. As always, please email us at prayer at erratphysiology.com with any prayer requests that you have. So by the end of this podcast, you will know how the belief of scientists over the years have yielded the intricacies of energy metabolism and exactly what uh, energy metabolism is and how you can use it in your life to help you with weight loss, weight gain, really any sort of mass issue that you can you can come up with. We're here to serve men primarily ages 20 to 40. But as we always mention, by serving men, we are thereby, by proxy if you will, serving women. So our message will always be geared specifically to men, uh, but we have plenty of female listeners uh, who are inspired by the show and we continue to serve them through men. The men that we serve are often persecuted over their God-given qualities. I think that's the first time I've had a notification on my phone go off in the midst of a podcast. Probably a good time to restart the recording. No, I've already told you I wouldn't do that, so this show must move on. We're here to be genuine. We're here to be true. We're here to show our flaws and be authentic with you through the process. So as we serve men ages 20 to 40 who have ever felt persecuted over their God-given qualities, we do so through anecdotal experiences in life as well as the field of anatomy. But more importantly, the scholastic truth of the Bible, which is where we verify everything with. All our answers can be found within there. It is the only inerrant form of literature ever written. Through that, we teach how God's word impacts every facet of our lives. We are faced with a problem of societal influence outweighing biblical influence, which leads to our succumbing to the evil tactics intended to destroy us. How easy is it to sit down and watch TV? And oftentimes, as I'm writing about in my book, that is a window of sin. It's amazing the stuff that comes through. I was just talking last night with my wife, um, Netflix, Amazon, Apple. It's amazing what they have displayed as their top banner that is not age appropriate. Um, you would think they'd have the decency to hide that within a show. If you're even going to have that show on your platform, you'd think that that image and whatnot would be hidden within that show, but it's not. It's it's cast on a banner, so could have our children turn on the device to watch something wholesome through like Minnow, um, watching some biblical show like Superbook, and that's the first banner that they see without even digging to be in the wrong spot. What we're subjecting our own eyes to and our children's eyes to is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm convinced that it is an attack that is permeating through our world. And that attack is intended 
on destroying us. And it's working. It's working quite well. So we serve brothers and thereby sisters with authenticity, as we've already discussed. We in the midst of change ourselves through our calling in ministry as teachers relating the often opposed subjects of anatomy and the Bible. Today's a fun one because we get to talk about those two subjects and show how they are connected and truly God-inspired. So the story I'd like to begin with today is not necessarily a story that I specifically have experienced, but a story of, excuse me, a story that I am aware of through research. And this is the current theory on hypertrophy versus hyperplasia. Those may be foreign terms to you, uh, but let's define them simply. Hypertrophy is simply the growth of tissue. Uh, But specifically, this growth of tissue is occurred by cells getting larger. Now, hyperplasia is also the growth of tissues, but its specific nature is the growth of tissue through cellular division. Now, if I just state hypertrophy and hyperplasia, those are the definitions and we're good. But these are often applying to skeletal muscle. For that to truly be accurate and consistent in what we're speaking to, we would need to say skeletal muscle hypertrophy and skeletal muscle hyperplasia. Uh, But let's use those as examples because they are usually uh, the most well understood examples. And I'll use myself again as an example. At 18 years old, 17 years old, graduating high school, I weighed probably 115, 120 pounds, something like that. Other than some growing pains in the last couple inches, I was pretty much full grown at that point in time. From that point forward, the what this theory states is that I have the number of skeletal muscle cells called myocytes that I'll always have, more or less. It's basically the best case scenario that I could have. And what the theory states that is, if I participate in weight training or anything that promotes hypertrophy, that truly hypertrophy will take place. And that skeletal muscle fibers and skeletal muscle cells, myocytes, will get bigger, but they will not divide and there will not be more of them. So fast forward 15 years, 20 years, and look at my current frame of 220 pounds, nearly double where I was, the amount of muscle fibers based on this current theory is the same. They're just bigger. This is current theory. I say this to my anatomy and physiology classes quite often. I do believe that this theory will be proven inaccurate. Why? They're already showing in mice models uh, that hyperplasia is possible. Now, uh, they're still holding firm to their theory that um, just because it's found in mice does not mean that it's found in human. And I agree with that. But I think that they're wrong. And I think that we're going to find that humans within skeletal muscle are capable of hyperplasia and hypertrophy. If we observe this in science, 
as we're speaking to today, this will be an incredible find. Again, my opinion is an unpopular opinion. It's not supported by current research. The current theory on this is that hypertrophy is possible in skeletal muscle, but hyperplasia is not. The current theory gets even more sad as we realize that we can experience muscle atrophy, which is a loss in muscle tissue. Now, this can occur in two ways, a loss of size of muscle or a loss of myocytes completely. And if this current theory holds true, what that's stating is that once we've lost muscle cells, myocytes, if this is true and hyperplasia is not possible in skeletal muscle of humans, that we are now sort of stuck in this new number of myocytes. Simply stated, you can lose it, but you can't get it back. And if we extrapolate this theory out to adipose tissue, the theory no longer exists in its true form because adipose tissue seems to work in opposition. Hyperplasia can occur. And once you have the extra adipocytes, you can't lose them. I jokingly like to refer to our body as a deserted island or not a deserted island, but uh, in preparation for being on a deserted island. It's trying to acquire as much adipose tissue or fat as possible, convinced that tomorrow we're going to wake up on a deserted island and we're going to need all that energy to sustain homeostasis and maintain survival. Kind of a funny thing to think about, but for us in America, in the richest land ever known, uh, it is not such a good thing because calories are prevalent and we don't have to spend much in terms of calories to acquire calories. It's very easy to eat three, four, or 5,000 calories. The NFL draft is tomorrow night, actually. Uh, super excited about that. We're going to order pizzas. Each of us will probably eat two, three, four thousand calories in one sitting just at dinner. Very easy to do with the high calorically dense foods that we have readily available to us. Oh, and by the way, that pizza will be delivered. So the energy spent for us to go hunt the food or go get the food is basically zero. Let's get on to the show uh, that matters most, and that is the Bible, and that is Mark 9.23. Uh, I, I try to allow all aspects of my life to inspire sections of Scripture to bring forward. None more important than prayer in my life. Before each podcast, the day prior, each and every day of my life, I pray about a variety of things, and it's not infrequent that I am praying about what I am to disseminate through this podcast and what can help people most. And while I didn't receive a direct answer in prayer on what scripture I should be talking about today, I have been highly influenced the last three days by an author known as Earl Nightingale. I am in a community group called the 48 Day Eagles. If you're interested in joining the community, please reach out. I also have an affiliate link at the bottom to get you into the group. It is a paid group full of Christian entrepreneurs, and it has been extremely helpful. I suffer from a lot of negative self-talk, 
And there's a lot of members in that group that are very supportive in that area. And one of the things that was recommended to me is that I listen to the audiobook called The Strangest Secret in the World by Earl Nightingale. And I do that every day for 30 days. Now, this book's been around for 75 years-ish, and you can be found just about anywhere. I found it on Apple Music. You can find it on Apple Books. You can find it on YouTube. It's about a 38-minute clip, and I highly suggest you join the challenge with me if you struggle with negative self-talk. I am on day three of this. And I am amazed at the message and just sort of marinating in that message. And where Mark 9.23 comes in is it's, I believe, the first scripture that he quotes uh, in that 38 minutes is Mark 9.23. And it ties in with belief and ties in with what we're going to speak about today. So Mark 9.23 through the English Standard Version, which is always the version that I'm reading, states, And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Now this is incredibly motivating in the scientific community, even though oftentimes again we are separating science and the Bible as as antagonistic things. We associate science as a completely secular endeavor. And for some people it is, but there still requires belief. There still requires belief that you're going to find what you set out to find, that your hypothesis is going to be proven correct. Now, obviously we get into the area of bias here and we have a lot of concerns with that. And science is riddled with bias, even though we as uh, errant filled humans try to do our best to remove that bias it still comes through and it still comes through profoundly. We have to be very careful with who we're acquiring information from, understanding that individual and understanding their bias. For me and my belief system, you're going to get a message that is full of scripture, is full of the Bible and relating anatomy with the Bible. And I wouldn't do that if I didn't believe it was true. But if you don't agree with me, you may consider that a bias. And yes, it is a bias. I'm going to lean that direction because of my faith, because of my belief system. And so if you are to take information from me, you have to take that into account. On a more granular level, if we look at the intricacies of uh, skeletal muscle hypertrophy, exercise physiology, energy metabolism, you're going to get something that is more geared towards powerlifting, strength training, more of that lower repetition range. Because for me, in my experience, the story that has been told through my life and my experience is a little guy that became a big guy. So there's been very few periods of my time where I've had to cut weight. And so I'm probably not the best resource for you to discuss how to lose 100 pounds because I've never done it. Do I have the knowledge to help you down that path? Yes, but so too do a lot of people that have done it themselves. Now, I'm not saying go to a person that lost 100 pounds uh, but never studied the academic side of exercise physiology. They're not going to be able to tell you the things that I'm going to be able to tell you on energy systems that are going to help things click conceptually 
in addition to sharing their experience. But there's plenty of people that have that experience and have the knowledge. Now, if you're looking to double your weight in 15, 20 years, I'm the perfect person for you. Unfortunately, that pool of people is quite small because generally most of us are not looking to add weight, especially that much weight. And we're also not looking to do it over a course of 20 years. We're very impatient. But for those four people in the world, here I am, and I'm ready for you if you need me. Let's talk a little bit about this verse and first pick out something quite short and very simple, and that's Jesus said to them. If Jesus speaks, listen. It's pretty simple. When I'm in prayer, if I feel something coming through me with the Holy Spirit, shut off the distractions and focus. Just listen. You've probably heard before that you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, one to speak and two to hear. Use those two ears to listen. All things are possible. Now, this is where I'd like to guide the discussion towards exercise physiology, specifically energy metabolism. And again, this can help you with weight loss, weight gain, or simply just understanding more about your body from a chemical level, a molecular level. When you move, there are three primary systems that you utilize to conduct energy metabolism. And that's the phosphagen system, the glycolytic system, and the oxidative system. Now I've listed them in order from explosivity to sort of this low output. So high output to low output. So think of the phosphagen system as something that is very powerful and very fatigable and short-lived. Go back to high school where you were forced against your will to run the mile. And you probably remember the person super competitive. I was this person who ran as fast as they possibly could the first lap of the four laps, assuming that you were on a track that required four laps of you. What happened to that person? Well, likely they were in the fetal position in the grass, reflecting on their life choices uh, soon thereafter that, that all-out sprint. Nobody can sustain a full sprint for four laps. Now, if you look at the world record of the mile, it's actually sub four minutes. I think it's like three minutes, 53 seconds or something like that. Uh, and then if you time me sprinting and you extrapolate that, for me, it would be me sprinting for that entire period of time. But for the individual that set that world record and the number of individuals that have dropped under four minute miles, there are quite a few of them. For them, undoubtedly, their sprinting speed would somehow even be faster. Now, they're conditioned to be very skilled in that range, which would be more of a glycolytic range and an oxidative range. But you get my point. So think of the phosphagen system as explosion. Think of the glycolytic system as a balance, a unique balance between explosion and duration. And then the oxidative system is duration. Now we spend probably 99% of our lives in the oxidative system. As I speak to you now, I'm not running. I'm not exercising in any way. 
So I'm using the oxidative system to fuel my metabolism and what I'm doing. But if I were to stand up and start running down the hallway as fast as humanly possible, I would immediately shift into the phosphagen system. If that sprint were to last more than about 12 seconds or so, I would enter the glycolytic system. And if the sprint now regulated to a jog probably lasted more than about 90 seconds, I would re-enter the oxidative system. But of course, the oxidative system would be molecularly sped up because of the activity that I'm doing. I've given you some broad second durations to understand each system. Again, 0 to 12 seconds roughly for the phosphagen system, 12 to 90 seconds roughly for the glycolytic system, and anything above 90 seconds for the oxidative system. Those numbers are maneuverable. For instance, my number at probably 10 or 12 is quite low because the majority of my lifting each set takes me less than 10 seconds. And so the body will adapt. And this is one of my favorite things uh, confirming a belief about human anatomy is that your body will conform to the imposed demands placed on it. So if all you ever do is repetitions of three, you're going to get super strong. You're also going to be highly reliant on the phosphagen system and the explosive nature of that system. So you're also going to develop is very fatigable. So if somebody says, hey, come run the mile with me, uh, they're going to have a very comedic experience if I agree to do that in watching me because I am unskilled and unconditioned at that. And that's what strength and conditioning is. Strength, obviously, building strength. Conditioning, conditioning is specific to what we're looking for. If we're looking for strength, I'm very conditioned. If we're looking for long-distance running, I'm very unconditioned. Now, there's some of us that are unconditioned in most areas of exercise because we live in a society intended to destroy us that promotes laziness, that promotes lethargy, uh, that promotes sitting around having things delivered to you and those sorts of things. Um, so we become unconditioned in many areas, if not all areas of activity. Crossfitters will often say they're the most fit in the world and they are in that glycolytic range, which is a good balance. And I think their statement can be true if we consider balance the optimal place to be, but they are the, not the most conditioned athletes from an explosion standpoint, not even close. They are not the most conditioned athletes from a long distance standpoint, not even close. To give you some ideas of the incredible nature God has given us through our bodies and what that is capable of, let me kind of announce some broad records that we have. Um, we, a few years ago, had a deadlift of 1,100 pounds, which is, I believe, 500 kilos. Um, yes, 1,100 pounds, 1,100 pounds was deadlifted off the ground. And a couple years later, in the midst of COVID, that was broken by four or six pounds. I can't rem remember exactly what it was. And uh, there was a bunch of controversy in that. And those two individuals actually ended up losing a bunch of weight 
cutting down and boxing each other, which was interesting um, over this feud of deadlifting um, and how frustrating it must be to lift that much weight and have it beat by four pounds. But nevertheless, they are humans, even though we feel like they're aliens. Those are two humans that completed that feat. Now, will I personally ever be able to lift 1,100 pounds in any lift? I, I don't think so. Not unless I have some sort of biomechanical advantage or some sort of lever system to help me with that. But in the way that they lifted that, no. The heaviest thing I'll probably ever lift in my life will be the Denny Stones. It is a life goal of mine to fly to Scotland and to lift the Denny Stones. And I won't spend uh, precious time in this podcast talking about them, but you can look them up and they're pretty cool. And it's a bucket list item for me. Within the glycolytic system, you can look at uh, a number of sprinters. Now, the sprint has to be something that is longer than about 15, 20 seconds in duration. You know, I said 12 earlier, which is true for most people and people like me that operate primarily in the phosphagen system. But for those that are highly skilled in the glycolytic system, they sort of extend that phosphagen system to maybe 15 20 seconds and can even push the outer range of that from 90 seconds to 120 seconds, perhaps. It really depends on the duration of the activity that you're doing. So let's go back to our analogy of the mile, but only take one lap. If all you're required to do is one lap, which is 400 meters, right? You could probably do that in less than a minute. And I'm not sure where the current world record is, but it's probably like 45 to 50 seconds, uh, somewhere in there. Incredible feat. Um, something that takes certainly more than the 12, 15, 20 seconds. So something that is clearly smack in the middle of the glycolytic system. Uh, even two laps would be pushing the envelope of the glycolytic system, but perhaps still within the glycolytic system. And these ranges between the two systems is where you're going to find uh, a unique challenge is as you're stretching the duration of the activity. So anytime I lift with higher repetitions and I'm getting close to 10, 12, 15, 20 seconds, that is extremely taxing for me because I'm depleting what I have in the phosphagen system and beginning the process of the glycolytic system. The same is true as you transition from the glycolytic system to the oxidative system. It's somewhere between 90 and 120 seconds, at which point you have to decrease your explosion. You cannot continue the way you did in the phosphagen or even the way you did in the glycolytic. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in a fetal position on the side of the track, um, reflecting on the life choices that you've made. The oxidative system, I've already stated something absolutely incredible, and that is the world record for the mile. And again, if memory serves correctly, it's around 3 minutes and 53 seconds. And it's been quite some time since the 4-minute barrier was broke. That was something that occurred, I think, 50-plus years ago. Anyway, some pretty incredible feats that can occur in human anatomy, and guess what? Uh, I was born in the oxidative system, primarily. There's plenty of research that I won't dive into that talks about type 1 and type 2 fibers 
and people have varying densities of those type fibers. I'm convinced that the way I was successful in the mile run as a middle schooler and high schooler, that the density of type 1 fibers I had was higher than what I wish I would have been given. I ran one mile in like 535 or something like that. And uh, it wasn't, wasn't all that difficult, but I didn't enjoy it mentally at all. And so I, from basically that point onward, focused on how I could get as big and strong as possible. And ignoring the societal uh, input there on men to be big and strong and thick and all that stuff, um, I was working in an uphill battle from that point forth because my density, my muscular density, was on the type 1 side. Now, you can transition fibers to type 2. That has been shown through science, through research, through observation. And I have done that to where I'm very unconditioned when it comes to uh, anything long distance currently. Uh, So where do you get the best athletes in the world? Well, I believe it's the people that continue with their genetic gifting. Uh, Now, I won't say that I could have been an Olympian in aerobic exercise under the oxidative system, but that was clearly where I was blessed to begin with. And so there was a lot more grinding that I had to overcome in 15, 20 years to achieve what I wanted, at least mentally. The person who lifted 1,100 pounds, they're very explosive. They were a swimmer early in their lives, and they were very explosive in that endeavor. So they were genetically gifted more type 2 fibers, and that aligned with what they were interested in. And so they had a head start on that pathway. There are people that are 19 years old that have squatted seven, 800 pounds. Um, I would have broken half if I tried to do that at 19 years old. At 19 years old, I think I was still struggling with a 175-pound squat or a 225-pound squat. But again, one of my favorite things with human anatomy and physiology is that we can adapt to impose demands. And so that's my story. That's what I've done over the last 15, 20 years is apply different demands onto my musculature primarily and adapt it over time. And it's been an incredibly fun and rewarding grind and period of time. And I'm using a lot of those lessons learned in business now as I'm in the midst of my grind and enjoying the process. We'll finish scripture with the section, One Who Believes. Uh, I believe that, again, science has seen these observations and it took the firm belief of scientists, whether secular or biblical, that believed their hypothesis was going to be shown true or false And we've seen incredible things observed to those people through that belief. So the observations of human anatomy are due to the belief that we have been awarded. I like to say oftentimes and disagree with people when they say that uh, we are evolving or our human anatomy and physiology is changing. Well, I've just talked about adaptation. That's possible. Um, But where I would disagree 
is we are God-inspired. In the moment that God breathed life into Adam, our physiology, our anatomy was set. Certainly moldable. If I decide that I want to become a marathon runner, I can start today and over the next 15 to 20 years get right back to the oxidative system. Probably substantially faster than 15 to 20 years because of what I know now, and I won't make as many mistakes as I made sort of on the journey upward. But nevertheless, we can adapt, but Adam could adapt as well. Whatever Adam was given in his frame and his body was moldable, but I, I don't see that adaptability, moldability is, is evolution. That being said, if we were to labor that point, uh, I've heard people say that evolution can explain survival of the fittest, but it cannot explain the genesis of the fittest. Stating that if evolution or any aspect of evolution is to be true, that it can explain how we grow, it can explain how we change from generation to generation, like people tending to be taller generation after generation. Which I don't know if that's all that true to begin with, but nevertheless, it's all inspired from the beginning from a God created. Because where evolution falls apart is that there is no beginning. There can't be a beginning because you can't get something from nothing. So to avoid a evolutionist versus a creationist discussion further, what I will say is that our power in belief is substantial. And that has been shown biblically over and over and over again and has been shown scientifically mainly through the placebo effect. If you believe something to be true, if you believe something to have an effect on you, it can often have an effect on you. I just watched a video prior to this that described the human brain is making about two to 3% of your total mass, but yet using about 20 to 30% of your daily calories. It's a powerful, powerful organ that we've been given. It's a powerful tool that most of us underutilize. And I don't mean that from an intellectual standpoint on how smart we are, not at all, but from a focus standpoint in a belief. And if you're involved in prayer like I am, living in 2023 in a highly distractible environment, you probably focus in prayer like I do. Or excuse me, you probably have difficulties with focus in prayer like I do. I've mentioned this before, but I'm embarrassed at how often I begin prayer and in the midst of prayer, I either fall asleep right before bed or I'm focused on what I have to do the next day or I'm thinking about something that I'm dwelling on from the day prior and two, three minutes goes by and I'm not even praying anymore. I'm lost in my own mind and that happens seemingly autonomically, but I allow it to happen. And so I'm working on disallowing that, not allowing that to happen and harnessing the power of my mind, harnessing the power of belief. And while this podcast will always be geared more to those who believe our anatomy is biblically inspired, those that are generally Christian, even if you're someone that doesn't believe in that, look into the placebo effect. 
there is immense power in belief, true belief. And if you need inspiration and you have children, look at your children. The belief that they have in sort of their untainted uh, version of what this world is, is really inspiring. And hopefully we all can apply some of that pure belief to our lives. Now, again, we've talked about our sponsorship before. We're self-sponsored. We do not want to interject advertisements into this show for our benefit and your benefit. Uh, Any benefit that we were to receive monetarily to us is not worth the cost at your expense. And so we maintain our self-sponsorship. Ararat Physiology is our business. You can find us at ararathysiology.com. And rather than go through each thing that we do at ararathysiology.com, I'm going to shorten this sponsorship and you can go check out our website and you can find that information for yourself. But what this podcast is directed to is service to you and help to you. Uh, Now, there may be a few things that we offer that may uh, lead you to our website and I'll mention a couple of those here in just a moment. But really where I imagine and have heard from most people initially is either through text message for those of you that know me personally or through email for those of you that don't know me personally. And that's the main goal here is to develop relationships, develop community, and become a trusted source in this subject matter and someone that you can seek advice from. But a couple things that we've built in our website are a learning style sheet to help you determine if you are a visual auditory or kinesthetic learner. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're pulling a lot from it, you're probably at least part auditory. Uh, But if you have to learn anything in your life, which we should be doing on a daily basis, and you do not know if you're a visual auditory or kinesthetic learner, you need to. You need to so that you can exemplify how you acquire new knowledge. I am a visual kinesthetic. Auditory is my least. So if I pound my table and say, I have to read books, I have to read books, and I'll read them out loud to myself, but I have to read books the way that they were meant. Audiobooks don't count. And even if I say they do count, because that still falls within auditory, I'm sort of trying to push a wagon with a square wheel uphill. And a lot of times we look at people that we admire that are super intelligent and we say, well, they did it this way and that means you're smart, so we have to do it this way. No, anytime that I've submitted to the learning style that I've been given, visual or kinesthetic, it takes me two, three times to memorize the material as opposed to 10, 20 times. So you got to know your, your learning style to best help you navigate the things that you need to learn the rest of your life. So we have a PDF that I've built on that, uh, finished that yesterday actually. And if you'd be interested in that PDF, explaining visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and some tips uh, to help you in your journey of learning, reach out. 
Uh, we also have completed. We are waiting for permission from Crossway, who is in charge of the English Standard Version Bible. We're awaiting copyright permission from them to use the verses that we've used. But our work is essentially done on every Bible verse pertaining to human anatomy. So if you'd like to sort of get on a wait list for that, please email us. And as soon as we have that copyright information approved for use in this sense, we will deliver that to you. You can either go on our website and fill out the pop-up that shows up automatically with your email and you'll be put onto a list that can get you that information. Or you can reach out directly through email. And the best email to reach us is hello at erratphysiology.com. Let's conclude this episode of the podcast with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen.